Hey everyone, welcome back to the Eminem Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger, along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. Uh, hopefully we don't have any issues today, but Chase is actually at the airport right now, so uh, definitely a different location for him. Uh, Chase is, uh, I mean, I'm sure, I'm assuming you don't mind that I'm sharing where you're going here, Chase, but... Oh yeah, absolutely not. Uh, if anyone listening is going to going to Seattle for Seahawk, come talk to me, because I will be there. Chase is uh, not only just going to be there, uh, he is going to be presenting as well, which is uh, really cool. I, I don't know if we shared that, that it was ever official on the podcast, but uh, just want to start out by giving you a congratulations, Chase. It's absolutely awesome. And uh, if anyone's wondering, Chase is going to be sharing uh, his thesis work on some of the prospect research he's been doing. Uh, Chase, I don't know if there's any more you want to get into with that or anything. Um. Yeah, like... It's basically all the stuff I've been doing on Twitter for the past like three or four months when it's it's blown up all the NHL draft bias stuff. Yeah. So uh, again, congratulations to that I'm you know I uh, wish I could be in Seattle to to view it as well, but uh, I'm sure you'll have a great time. And um, yeah, so we're recording Chase at the airport, waiting to go to Seattle uh, as as we do this, but uh, worked out pretty nicely that we could actually still record uh, because there's a bunch of news kind of quietly uh, to talk about this week. You know we. We discussed the past two weeks how it felt like there was not much happening. Well, a couple trades happened the day after we recorded last year, uh, last week, and then uh, we were going to record yesterday. And thank God we pushed it off a day because a massive signing drops today. Rupe Hint signs an eight-year extension at eight point four five million dollars. I did not see this one coming, Chase. What was your first reaction seeing this deal? This is the kind of deal that everybody talks about how that should be signed, but it feels like never does, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. I was sh- shocked. I, I I was pretty surprised at how high this AAV was for him, so I won't lie. Yeah, I mean, that's why I said that like, it feels like it never does, right? Like, giving give Rupe the bag for long term is a fantastic deal for Dallas. It just doesn't feel like players like him tend to be the guys who do that uh, because, well, his, his counting stats are good. They're just not like, they probably underrepresent how good he is. Yeah, like he kind of feels like the guy who gets the classic like eight by six or whatever instead and or eight by five and a half. And it's like, oh my God, this guy's a steal. Or they just bridge him because he wasn't drafted super high, and they're like, "Well, I don't know if three years of being great is enough." <laughs> cough, Jason Robertson. Cough. Yeah, sounds sounds familiar in Dallas, eh? Well, and, and that's what's kind of crazy is Jason Robertson just signs this summer. He's three years younger than Hints, and signs four years at seven point seven five. You know, so Hints now obviously his contract kicks in next year, but gets an extra million on top and the full eight years. Um, now, I, I do think some of that is Jason Robertson. I don't think wanted to sign probably eight years. I'm assuming he wanted, but he's still, he's not walking himself to UFA. He still is a year of RFA. Now, he's doing basically the Matthew Kachuk kind of deal, um, which is fine. That's that's totally okay. But it's just, yeah, like this deal is, I think, what a lot of people thought Jason Robertson might have signed this summer. Yeah, it's exactly what I think everyone was expecting to be signed. But yeah, Rube gets it. Good for him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I've, again, it doesn't, it usually goes without saying, but it's uh, for a guy who has an estimated career earnings of $7.8 million right now, uh, getting a, what is it, $56, $56 million paycheck. Uh, that's a, that's a pretty sweet deal. So 
Um, you know, obviously good for him. Um, yeah, very, very solid player. Uh, probably, I would say, to me, he feels like the classic guy who's underrated to general hockey fans just because he's definitely not a household name. But I sometimes feel like almost stats sort of overrates him a little bit, if that makes sense. Yeah, I felt that way with, like, Jacob Slavin for a while, where, like, everybody's in such a rush to be like, oh, no, this guy's underrated because it's not a household name. It's like, no, I feel like in the analytics community, it's pretty well understood what he is. It's just a, a great player who gets there by being pretty good at literally everything. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's kind of kind of what I feel about with hints right now. Although I definitely will admit if like if I ask if like I went and told my dad, Rupe Hint signed for fifty six million dollars, I think his reaction would be who? Oh, a hundred percent. Oh, most of the same with like Jason Robertson and stuff. The same idea on all the good Dallas players. They're definitely rated properly by huge nerds. It's just the general public doesn't really care about them. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, like there's not a ton to talk about, I don't think, with the deal in terms of like it, it just it's it seems like a fair deal for both sides, you know. Like Hints wasn't getting much more than this on an open market. And maybe the only argument you could make is that it's a guy who's locking in eight years at 26 years old, where, you know, I, I do think for a player, the market inefficiency still might be locking in for two or three, maybe max four years at a time, betting on yourself and going to get that new contract when the cap has risen by 15 mil in three years or whatever. But 100%, if you're trying to purely maximize income, maximize expected income, that's definitely the way to do it. But anytime a guy gets the certainty of 50 plus million dollars, it's like, hell yeah, good for you. I don't blame you for taking it. Yeah, absolutely. So um, from the team's perspective, it's a little interesting. Um, they have a ton of money committed already next year. They have 9.85 to Tyler Sagan, 9.5 to Jamie Benn. Both guys who are looking much better this year. Sagan's got 18 points in 23 games, which is much better than the 49 and 81 he had last year. And I want to say Jamie Benn is around the same pace as I kind He's of over tried. A point per game. That's what I thought. Cause I remember looking and he was actually like the 30th ranked fantasy player in the league this year. And I was just like, Oh wow. I would not have guessed that um, 26 points in 23 games. So Jamie Benn is definitely dying back the clock. He had 46 and 82 last year and 35 and 52 the year before 39 and 60. Like he just has not been, he's on pace to absolutely crush his point totals since like 2015 kind of thing. Um, yeah, just absolutely insane. There's got, there's got to be an article out there about it. It feels like a lot of guys have been doing this recently where they've been bad for like half a decade almost, or not, not bad, but not who they were. And then they randomly just explode again all of a sudden. I kind of wonder if it's like, I don't, yeah, like, I wonder if it's like a health thing too, like, because I don't know, like, every time people, it, it's hard to say what's just hindsight bias and, you know, what's actual correct analysis, you know, but one of the yeah. things I've seen pointed out for, like, Carlson is people are like, this is the first time he's come into a season healthy and, like, he actually got to train all summer because he wasn't just rehabbing injuries for 90% of the summer. And, like... I definitely can see how that would have an impact. And obviously the big thing with Jamie Ben was the exact same thing where it's like Jamie Ben didn't suddenly turn into a bad hockey player. He's a guy who's pushing his, like, I mean, he's only 33, which is younger than I picture him being, but he's a guy getting into his thirties who has played 15 years of some of the toughest hockey you can. Cause that's just the power forward style he played. It shouldn't be shocking that like, if he, 
after being injured for three or four years, if he could finally, and like last year, I think if I'm not mistaken, they kind of shut him down near the end of the year a little more. If he actually got to just recover and was healthy this summer for once, like it wouldn't shock, like the, the correlation to me makes enough sense there, you know? Yeah. And it, and it could make sense too with the, like the COVID years were probably really, really hard on some of these older guys, the really contents since. Yep, for sure. And again, like I just, I, I hesitate a little bit to try and give all the credit to that because sometimes correlation does, uh, you know, correlation and causation, not the same thing. Right. But yeah. I don't know. It's it's an interesting theory for sure. But because then, like, I saw people say the same thing about Tavares is here. It's like, well, like, Tavares was expected to miss the first 12 games of the season with an oblique injury, and then suddenly like, it wasn't as bad as they thought. So it's like, it kind of feels yeah. like we're going both ways on that one. Mm-hmm. Also, Tavares' stat here was like a 78-point season. Yes, yes, 78-point yeah, phase, sure. whereas Ben Ben and, like, Dowdy and Carlson and some of these guys were just absolutely cooked. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they have both of those guys at 9.8, 9.5. Like, you got to hope for Dallas. Like, Dallas got to hope for their own sake that they're at least close, even if they're not this. Like, if Jamie, well, obviously, I don't think it's fair to expect Jamie Ben to just be over point per game, but you got to hope he's at least a little closer to this than the cooked player we've seen for three years, uh, because that's, you know, that's almost 20 mil right there. You're putting between those two guys, $19 million. Robertson's going to be making 7.75. I mean, that's a steal. You're not complaining about it, but it's still 7.5. $7.5 million. Marchman makes 4.5. Rupe is going to start making 8.45 next year. So already over six, seven, they have seven forwards under contract, one of them being Wyatt Johnson, who's on his ELC, and we'll actually probably have some bonuses next year. It's already about $44 million locked into six forwards. Um, you know, $43 million into six forwards is what it is. Uh, and then on the blue line, you have Miro Heiskin at 8.45, Essel Lindell at 5.8, Ryan Suter at 3.65, uh, Colin Miller and Yanni Honkenpot at 1.85 and 1.5 for next year. Uh, and then Niels Lundqvist at his ELC as well. So, but, you know, if you take away Niels Lundqvist, you have about $21 million locked up into five defensemen. So, like, listing off the numbers here, that's what, $65 million in six forwards and five defensemen, and then $5 million more in goalies already locked up. So, they're going to have about 13 to 14 million dollars in cap space probably to you know depending on how much it goes up this year but let, let's say 13 and a half million dollars or so to try and figure out five to six forwards and two defensemen probably like it's going to be interesting to see what they do especially because joe Pavelski's up and i don't know i don't see him taking a pity cut on 5.5 million dollars considering he still is just having a, another great year Unless you give them term and it's like a Harlow contract where you're like, yeah, the final year of this deal is going to be like the worst, one of the worst contracts in the entire league kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's possible for sure. Because, um, yeah, and then um, like it kind of seems like uh, Joel Kiparanta is going to be gone this year. Dennis Garyanov's an RFA coming up this year. So, you know, like you'd think he's going to want to raise on his two point nine two point nine million dollars. Oh, he's not really putting out the points to deserve that. He's at four in 16 games. So, you know, maybe he'll come in a little cheaper. But, yeah, they're definitely going to have some playing around to do in the offseason. And it was obvious that this was always going to be the case when they signed those second and Ben contracts. Yeah, exactly. And in a way, they almost got lucky that they're in this position. Like they're 
they're pretty much pot committed to next year because of how hard they smashed the Robertson picks out of the and uh, Heiskanen picks out of the park. But like those were guarantees, so they're, they're they're very lucky to be in this kind of pickle. Yeah, I mean the Nick Robertson pick wasn't a guarantee, but yeah, but or, yeah, I I get Jason, what you mean, Jason. Yeah, yeah. Or sorry, Jason. Yeah, like he was the yeah. second rounder, 39th overall. That That's what I mean. Yeah, not yeah. even close to guarantee. Like they're very very lucky that they're yes, in yeah, yeah. yeah. For sure. Sorry. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's move on to another piece of news. Uh, this broke literally the day after we uh, recorded last week. So uh, kind of tough timing on that one. But Ryan Reeves got traded again. Um, he gets traded from the uh, New York Rangers to the Minnesota Wild, who wanted to add some grit, uh, quote unquote, to their roster. I, I, I cannot remember another guy that like everyone, no one ever has anything bad to say about Ryan Reeves, but he seems to get flipped every like two years. He must be sick to hang out with. Yeah, like like everyone seems to love him, but like, and I guess maybe when I'm and so sorry, he got flipped for a 2025 fifth round pick uh, from the went to the Rangers. Um, I I think you know maybe that kind of I, I guess. I shouldn't be shocked that he gets, he's been traded so often because let's be honest, he's not really, he, he's been clinging on to an NHL level four for a little while now. And I would argue at 1.75, he's probably not worth the value of even a 12 forward at this point. I mean, I'm sure he's a great person. You could probably make an argument. He's never actually been an NHL level forward his entire career. Yeah. I think there's a couple of years in Vegas there where his numbers were okay enough where it's like, yeah, if he's your 12 forward, you're definitely fine. Yeah, his one, I think it was his first year in Vegas was actually pretty good. Yeah. Well, yeah, like he's just, I think, you know, this is definitely the kind of intangibles thing that people are talking about because, you know, he gets another team that wants to take him on and wants to take that contract on. And, okay, I mean, like, I just, I don't really think that's what the Minnesota Wild needed. Um, No, that's, there's, there's almost no chance that's what the Minnesota Wild needed. Yeah, like, I think they probably needed not to play Matthew Boley five minutes a night. Or not Matthew yeah. Boley, uh, Marco Rossi, sorry. Yep. Like, that probably feels like it's a bit better of a fix than acquiring Ryan Reeves for an asset. Um, you know, like, I, again, like, I don't want it, to... It, it's such a minor move either way that, like, I don't think it's, like, a massive... Like, it's not a massive deal. You're not being like... I think one of the things that I've come to learn is, especially around deadline time too, I get it the same way where it's like, this is a, in my opinion, a non-EV move for the Minnesota Wild, but also it means so little in the long term of things that like, I used to get super like upset almost about these moves. And now it's like, yeah, I definitely wouldn't have done it, but also like, whatever. Yeah, it's probably not a huge deal. And the, the thing why these deals, I completely agree with you. I used to get more upset. Like the Wild are getting shelled relative to expectations in terms of goals against. So, like, if they just start getting better goaltending, people are going to attribute it to the Reeves thing, anyways. They probably will get better goaltending down the stretch. And it's only a fifth round pick. So, most people aren't going to really care. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what their goaltending does down the stretch because, you know, like they're relying on a 38-year-old Marc-Andre Fleury and a 24-year-old Philip Gustafson who's showed 12 good games in the NHL in his career. Like, I'm Yeah, that's true. Sold it will, you know. And 
And this isn't a Minnesota Wild team like the past couple of years that have been top five in possession. They're 15th in expected goals and like 17th in Corsi 4 percentage right now. Yeah, their offense is completely dried up. They're generating XG at the same similar rates as the Canadians, Canucks, uh, Ducks, and Red Wings, and Sharks. So what yeah. five of the bottom 10 teams we expected coming into the year? Well, and you know, I've often said it's, uh, you know, when you struggle to generate expected goals, it really helps to pick up a guy who's got 54 goals in almost 800 career games as a forward. Yeah, exactly. And also, like, it's always whenever something like something weird happens, people are like, oh, private data. Like, there's not private data that's going to suggest Reeves is good either. Like, there's, yeah. it's just. But this is the cap crunch that. affecting them, you know? Like, Kaprasov makes $9 million, Zuccarello makes six. Eric Sinek makes 5.25, which is a great contract as well. Don't get me wrong. Um, but because they have $12 million in dead money this year, and they have, you know, 7.5 on their back end to Spurgeon, six to Brodeen, six to Dumba, you know, like they have $26 million locked up in seven defensemen. They only have, they can only spend $33 million on their forward core. And so, like, they were relying on Matthew Boldy to do show what he did for all last year, and people were just assuming that Marco Rossi was going to come in and be this, like, 80-point player. And Boldy's been pretty solid, nine goals, seven assists in 21 games. That's nothing to scoff at or anything. Um, but he's not absolutely carrying the load offensively. And, and like we said, like, Marco Rossi has not been given, honestly, even a fair chance, I would say, with this lineup at times. Like, I think he might even be – I think they sent him back down to the minors. He, but like He's down right now. Yeah, they were playing up like eight minutes a night, and he had one point in 16 games. But, you know, it, it just kind of felt going – and this is why I never understood why the models loved this team so much. They It felt like they were just like – well, they, they needed Marco Rossi to be a top six player right away to be a good team. And, like, that's a big ask, even for a good prospect. Yeah, it feels pretty excessive. Like, they're it, – basically, it's funny because what's happening is – what every reasonable person uh, would have expected. Shooting $13 million into the sun is going to make stuff really, really, really hard for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, like could this team could really use Kevin Fiala more than Ryan Reeves. That's the thing. And like, I just, that's why I never understood why the analytical models love this team as like a top five team in the league. It's like, well, they've shed play. All they've done is shed players for most of the past two years, and they just got rid of a legitimate first line guy. Yeah, so, exactly like a top fifty forward in the NHL, purely offensive too, and flash. Exactly what this team needed because their defensive numbers are still fine. Because I feel like the defensive numbers will just always be good, in Minnesota. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I I don't get it, but um, and I, I don't really see a way out this year to be honest. Like, I, I could see them, you know, if Flurry's not the worst goalie in the league or whatever, that's fine. But like, what's the cap for this team? Being a wild card team and probably getting dummied in the first round, killed by the abs. Yeah, like that's not great. Um, Maybe Dallas. Hell, the way Dallas. Is yeah, no kidding. Um, another thing that I thought people should have saw coming and still got like New York definitely didn't see it coming because Larry Brooks had quite the column last night. Uh, Igor Shosturkin is not playing at a 934, uh, 35 pace for the entire year this year. And the New York Rangers are barely surviving. Yeah, it turns out uh, the best goalie season of the analytics era wasn't repeatable, even though I'm pretty sure he's still been pretty good at yeah, he started. I haven't checked in the past. Um, 
um, couple. Let me just pull it up right now. I'm going purely off the fact that I used to have him in fantasy hockey and his numbers were good before I traded him. Because that was the, I know he started like he's at a nine thirteen this year. Okay, like that's fine. That's average, you know. And yeah. and he started really. I know his first two weeks were bad. Like he was he was bad for the first two weeks. But like I'm just pulling up his advanced stats as well to try and tell you where those are. From Evolving Hockey, he's at 3.72 goals saved above average and 3.69 goals saved above expected. So, like, he's not... Yeah, he's not blowing the lights out of anything, but he's been fine. He hasn't been a problem, but... uh, And I'm just trying to find Larry Brooks' column here. Um, I'm not blocked by Larry Brooks, am I? This would be a fun way to find that out. Well, because I was on my other account when I saw it, and I'm... I'm really, oh, I think I spelled Brooks wrong. That might be why. Larry Brooks. Come on. Sorry, this is bad podcasting. There it is. NYP Brooksy. I am not blocked. Just Michael Russo then for big, big ones as far <laughs> as I know. Hashtag get myself unblocked. Um, here's the call. The Igor Shesterkin is far from good enough to save fragile Rangers. Uh, and I'm just going to open this up and, and you can read it. It's on the New York Post. And like, I don't, you know, this is, you can go read it pretty easily, but um, there was some pretty damning quotes. I like Shesterkin's been wearing it too. Like he said the other, so he let in a couple really bad goals on Monday and when they lost to the Devils. And uh, his quote from that was, "The goalie played a shit game again," which talking about himself, uh, you know. And he said, "I'm ashamed." So you know, like, it's not like Shesterkin is hiding from this, and honestly, probably taking on more of the blame than he deserves. But you know. The, the column basically goes in. So a year ago, in posting a 935 save percentage that ranks third all-time all among goalies in at least 50 starts, Shaturkin was the ultimate fixer. He could have played... Uh, oh, my eyes right now. And he goes, Shaturkin not only acted as a, a security blanket, his swagger infused the team with confidence. Uh, and then he goes on to talk about how this team is fragile, quote-unquote, um, and that Hendrik Lundqvist papered over deficiencies year after year after year if everyone could do that, every goaltender would be on his way to the Hockey Hall of Fame. Shesterkin did it last year. Thus far, despite an encouraging short run a week ago, his shoulders have not been big enough to carry the load. Again, the entire group shares the blame, and that includes Gerard Gallant, the coach who has a team uh, filled with underachieving athletes. But the bottom line is the Rangers cannot survive with average goaltending, let alone inferior goaltending. That's a is... really damning indictment of the roster, not even Yes. <laughs> Exactly. And that is exactly what I thought when reading that is a, he is not, I mean, like, sure. I'm, the column was talking about Monday night game. He, he you know, maybe he gave him inferior goaltending that night, but this season he is uh, just by the statistics. It has been about average goaltending. If you were saying the Rangers cannot survive without average, just average goaltending. Yeah. That probably means there is a massive problem with this team that everyone, including themselves, fancied as a contender heading into the year. Yeah, because like the wildest part is their backup Halak has been horrible. And yet mm-hmm. their goals against numbers are still better than their goals for numbers, which means in terms of pure results, Shesterkin's playing better than the skaters by a decent margin. Yeah, and like it's just one and like i get it because you know i I feel like the uh, immediate pushback is like well yeah you barely can ever win with elite goaltending you know like minus the abs who did it last year but even then if you want to call that a one-off whatever that's fine but this column isn't talking about we need shesterkin to be elite come playoff time it's this column is talking about we need to survive heading into december 1st 
which so we need Shesterkin to be the, an elite nine thirty goaltender. It's like if that's the case, your team sucks. Yeah, and the weirdest part is their underflight numbers are actually all way up this year. Yeah, but they're they're uh, sixth in Corsi four percentage right now. Like I don't know what their offensive looks like. Yeah, they're, they're ninth in Corsi four per sixty. So it's not like they're like it's not like they're not doing anything. Um, you know, a seven point five six on a shooting percentage at five on five isn't going to to help things. That ranks twenty fourth in the league. Uh, which isn't ideal, obviously, but um, yeah, it just, I, I do think this team is better than what they've shown, but I was just, I couldn't get over that when reading that last night, because it's like, if you need elite goaltending to make the playoffs, like that, that says more about your team than it does anything else. Yeah. It's just a massive indictment of the roster. Like, like you said, everybody fancies them contenders. Look at the Leafs. Everybody's like, oh, the Leafs goaltending is going to be shit. They're guaranteed to make the playoffs. And people barely even consider the Leafs a real contender. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I just, and then like, so this is, I want to get into a similar thing too, because uh, Soros and Demko are having the same two things. And Demko's has looked a little, Demko has looked a little better over the past couple of weeks. And shockingly, the Vancouver Canucks have won three in a row while he looks good because they're still bleeding shots, but he's finally starting to make some saves. And, it's just one of those things where it's like we both had Demko and Saros as top seven goalies on our list, and I think we had Shesterkin like one and two, or you know, like I think I had Vasilevsky two or one, but you know, and you had him, you would, but we both had Shesterkin in our top three, and it's just one of those things where it's like even I think I, I kind of wonder sometimes if like it's just so hard to predict goaltending, obviously, because like Sorokin's having another amazing year after we weren't sure if he could continue what he did last year, but it's one of those things where it's like. We always predict all year being like, hey, that really had a great year. I don't know if that'll continue. But sometimes I think we, even the stats people, kind of fail to value that impact properly still. Yeah, I wonder if we overrate how likely it is to regress in season and underrate how likely it is to regress out of season. Yeah, yeah, that's a good theory. Uh, Like... Because, yeah, and it's not like, even I don't think Saros has been the issue in Nashville necessarily. But, you know, it's just, what we say, I, I mean, I, I, like he's had a 905. He hasn't been great by any means. But, like, what we say last year is, like, Saros put up a 918 and had one of, like, the craziest three-month runs to get this team into the playoffs. And that got them into Drag. the eighth seed to get absolutely demolished by the Colorado Avalanche. <laughs> Yeah, like he just had to do absolutely everything for pretty much no reward. Yeah, he played 67 games, then all the, and he got hurt right at the end. So he didn't even get to play in the playoffs that he dragged them to. Yeah. But I forgot about that. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. It, it's just one of those things where uh, the, the Shesterkin thing was the big one I want to talk about because of the Rangers. And, like, obviously, you know, I got to take my pot shot at the Rangers, even though I genuinely do think they are a better team than this. Like, I'd be pretty surprised if they missed the playoffs, which if the classic, if the playoffs started today, they would be out. I don't, I don't think that'll, that'll be the case come, you know, um, May or April and April, I guess when it starts now, and you know, they're only out by a couple points. It's not like they're just completely out. But, um... Yeah, it doesn't help that they're uh, to be honest. I don't know how bad it sounds. Apologies if it's brutal, but uh, their power play falling off is really killing them too. 
Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah, that was pretty loud. Apologies to anyone for everyone listening there. But yeah, like it's just. It's hard to know what it sounds like on the other end. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, if you do throw yourself on mute, I can just kind of talk over it. Um, but yeah, like with their power play falling off, like we know power plays aren't the most sustainable thing from year to year. Like, especially not when your whole shtick was last year that we have a god tier goalie and an elite power play. Yeah, exactly. Like when the two things you rely on are two of the most unsustainable things in terms of a year-to-year basis, even if you have good systems and players to try and help that. And I mean, the goaltending, they don't even have a good system to help that. They just purely had a good goaltender, but... They have a good individual. Yeah, like, so... I, I don't know. I I just... I was a little surprised that people were su- surprised at how bad like the drop-off can be for some of these guys especially teams like vancouver and nashville it's like yeah we said like if they don't get absolutely elite goaltending again they're screwed because they both got elite goaltending last year and one didn't make the playoffs and one barely made the playoffs yeah it's just such a like it's a good thing to have elite goaltending but it can so easily cloud what uh what your team actually looks like yeah absolutely and it's, it's one of those things where it's like, and that's why I kind of admire what Tampa's been able to do. Where it's like, it's easy, I think, to justify some not as good moves by just being like, "Oh, we got a good goaltender, we'll be okay." Yeah, it reminds me of it football, um, with like, if you have a great QB, you can pretty much get away with anything, and people justify a lot of stuff that way. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, well, if you want to know how bad the uh, betting markets have been down on. Uh, um, the New York Rangers, uh, you can they're they're facing the Ottawa Senators diet. I don't know if you know this, Chase. The Ottawa Senators, they're not very good this year. Uh, you can get the New York Rangers at minus 118 on Pinnacle right now. In Ottawa? Not In Ottawa. Right. Yeah. Huh. You know how That's... I found that, Chase? <laughs> Let me guess. I use their friends at Betstamp. Betstamp. Uh do you know that the best way to make money when sports gambling is to have multiple different accounts open so you can compare lines and get the best odds? Well, with Betstamp, it makes it very easy to do that. Uh, you can log in and it'll show you if you want to go place any bet that you want. So, for example, the New York Rangers versus Ottawa Senators last night. I pull it up and it tells me uh, it compares right here to about 20 different sports books that are in my area that I can be using. And it tells me which has the best odds for the New York Rangers, what is the best odds for the Ottawa Senators, uh, and this helps, and you know, same with the spread, the over under. Uh, and this helps you get the most value. Uh, if you're again, if you're wondering uh, how much can that really change, um, this one's a smaller one to be honest. But even this one, the New York Rangers' best odds are minus one eighteen. There are some sports books that are giving them at minus one thirty five. So that is quite the difference for a single game. Um, you can also keep your bets all in one place, so you can track exactly what you've picked. Uh, as well as, you know, your return on investment and how you've done. Uh, You can also check out the marketplace where people give their picks for free. You can look at their results and see, you know, if you want to follow them. Um, If you download the BetStamp app, please use the the referral code MNMHockey. It would mean a lot. And thank you very much to BetStamp for sponsoring this podcast. All right. A couple more things I wanted to talk about. Let's go with the Toronto one first, and then we'll go to Florida Calgary quick, and then we'll probably wrap the podcast up. Uh, Toronto had something we want to talk about, but Toronto did actually have a piece of news this week, and it was a much uh, you know a, a minor trade, and that is uh, 
They traded for Connor Timmons for um oh what's the six foot nine center's name? Kurt Doug. Uh, uh yeah, Curtis Douglas, thank you. Um Connor Timmons, obviously pretty highly touted prospect, you know, played on the Canadian World Juniors team, and then just like could never really stay healthy. He was drafted to Colorado. He looked like he was going to be part of, you know, that massive Colorado blue line with Byram and then obviously McCarr and what he's turned into. Never really worked out, but also I believe that a bunch of concussion issues, you know, didn't get to play a lot of hockey. He got flipped to the Arizona Coyotes and and they couldn't really find a spot for him either. Uh, he played six games with Arizona last year and, and then uh, two games with them this year. So he gets flipped to the Toronto Maple Leafs, who we talked about last week, have a billion injuries on their blue line. Jamie Ben went down as well after recording that. Um, hasn't got to play with the Leafs yet, but I, I like this move from Toronto's um, perspective in turn, taking a guy who had some upside at one point and, and flipping him for a guy in Curtis Douglas, who was their fourth round pick in 2018 and didn't really seem to have a future with the team. Yeah, I freaking love this move. I mean... Pretty much the only thing you can say about Curtis Douglas is that he's tall, uh, which is great if he works out. But you really need to be careful on how much how likely that if is. And with Curtis Douglas, it seems pretty close to zero. Whereas Timmons, there's actually some hope. Yeah, exactly. And so people might be going, "Well, why would Arizona do this?" Then uh, they were going to probably waive Connor Timmons if uh, you know they couldn't find a trade partner, which means Toronto probably would have just claimed them anyways because Toronto has so many injuries. They have a spot to just stash them on the active roster for now. So instead, Arizona gets Curtis Douglas, a guy who can go through, doesn't need waivers, uh, and they can send down to his farm system. And as you said, like you're either going to lose the asset for nothing, or if there's a 3% chance that Curtis Douglas works out, that's great. And Arizona Coyotes have nothing to lose by testing that out right now, whether regardless of where he plays this season. Yeah, I don't hate it for the Coyotes, although I just really like it for the Leafs. Yeah, and so again, Timmons hasn't actually got into the lineup because the Leafs just keep winning with their, their lineup, which is one of the funniest things that NHL coaches do. And it's like, I, I remember I was listening to a PFF podcast this week um, with Steve, Steve and Sam, and they were talking about like, it was, oh, who's the team? It's the Commanders that uh, Taylor Heineke just kind of keeps winning for them. So they're like, well, we don't really know what he does different, but the guy's kind of like him and he's winning. So we're going to make him our starting quarterback. It's like, well, that's not good process if you don't know why he's winning. He's just winning and that's why you're starting him. Like, And I've never understood with NHL coaches like, ah, we won last night, so we're keeping the roster the exact same. It's like, well, if you won last night getting outshot two to one, that probably means you don't need to keep the roster the exact same. Yeah, it's probably a bad sign. And like, I'm totally like, I'm assuming they probably want to get Connor Timmons a little more caught up to their system or whatever, and want to see what they have in Matt Hollowell as well. That's totally fine. Like, I'm not saying they have to play Connor Timmons or anything like that, but it just, it always makes me laugh when it's like, no, we're keeping the line of saying, not because we liked how we played, but just because we won. It's like, well, you kind of like, I know you can't fully ignore the result, but you gotta at least ignore the, you gotta get, look at the process, right? Like, yeah, the whole point of uh, having expertise in a field is that you can be able to look at an outcome and say, we kind of got lucky with that one, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, no, I, I like to trade from Toronto's uh, perspective as well. And uh, it's been really impressive what they were doing with this blue line of Justin Hall, Timothy Lilligren, Rasmus Indian, and Lilligren have looked really good. Like this, we were, we were talking last week about a litmus test. So far, they're passing, that's for sure. Best case scenario. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, Mark Giordano, uh, Mac Hollowell. 
Uh, and Victor Mete has been the decor so far, and I, they've won four in a row with it. So um, that's uh, pretty pretty damn impressive, uh, to be honest. So an- another thing I want to talk about the Leafs, because you know one of the reasons they are having some winning games is obviously Matt Murray's been looked really good since coming back, which has been a huge plus for them. Um, but also, like, people keep mentioning how they're doing this without any of their stars really going off. And, like, to a g- degree, I get why people are saying that in terms of, like, it's not like Matthews, Marner, Tavares are all two and a half points per game, but like Tavares is 26 points in 24 games. If you told people Tavares would be on point, pace for like 94 points, 25 games into the season, no one would really, like some people would believe you, but like it would be something people were not expecting. A hundred percent. Also, Nylander might finally hit point per game. Exactly. Mitch Marner's at 28 points in 24 games. And again, like maybe it's, it's, but like that that's got to be pretty close to the 97 point pace he was he had last year and he only played 72 games but uh let me just see 28 and 24 times 72 is 84 so it's a slightly lower pace for sure but he's on a 17 game point streak right now which is just absolutely absurd um pretty sure you just set a new maple Leafs record and then yeah Neiland has been playing amazing and and even austin matthews like he hasn't been scoring as much on five on five. He's still got 11 goals on the year. Like, it's not like he's at 26 points in 24 games. It's not like he's been doing nothing. It's just, you know, it hasn't been quite as dominant as it was in that 50 game stretch last year. So it feels underwhelming. But um, the one thing, you know, we kind of touched offline about it that we wanted to talk about with Matthews is I keep hearing every, and it's like it stats people and not. Like, I was just in the PDO cast they were talking about the other day. People keep saying they're not, no one's really worried for Matthews or anything like that. But, you know, he's obviously not scoring much on five on five. He did actually have one last night as we're recording this. Um, but his shooting percentage at five on five was like 4% or something the last time I had checked. But people keep saying, like, what's a little more worrying is that they don't see him going to dominating play like they did last year. And I'll admit, I haven't watched a ton of Leafs games this year, so I don't really know if that's true. But, like, part of me feels like that's just confirmation bias seeping into what they're seeing with goals. And kind of ignoring the underlying stats. I, I'm curious to get your take, though. So, I'm of two minds. He's definitely not as good as last year. That's fine. It's pretty obvious. But I think with Matthew specifically, and this is where I can relate this to his playoff results too. Something about the like Matthew style lends itself to like, and maybe this is just because I hyper focus on him. Maybe everyone happens to this, but like. Connor McDavid is really, really flashy the way he gets his results. Most players as good as Austin Matthews are, whereas a lot of what he does better than most players is a lot more subtle. He's like winning neutral zone puck battles and winning like takeaways and all that kind of stuff. So like I feel like and when you're a playmaker and the puck's not going in for you, you still might be picking up a ton of assists, which is what people expect from you anyways, where it's easier to rationalize. Whereas Matthews, people look at him as the goal scorer, and a lot of the defensive stuff he does is a lot more subtle. So I think his play style lends itself more to people being like, ah, the puck's not going out of it, not going in the net. He just doesn't look as dominant. And it reminds me a lot in the playoffs because by every metric, I'm pretty sure his underlying numbers are always amazing in the playoffs. Everybody says he just like looks different, but he's still getting a ton of shots. He's still by all quantifiable measures dominating the game. The puck just doesn't go in. And then people say that it just looks worse. Yeah. Like I, I agree with that. And, you know, I'm just looking at his stats this year. Like he has been 
slightly worse than last year. But again, last year was such an anomaly too. It's almost unfair to expect him to repeat that, I think, which is also why I feel like we take for granted what McDavid does every year already. Yes. If that makes sense. Part of it, why I believe that with Matthews, where something about a style that people just say it doesn't look as good no matter how good it actually is when he's not scoring. People were saying that last year. Do you remember that? Yeah. yeah. Early in the year, he wasn't scoring. It's like, oh, Matthews just looks different. It's like, by all metrics, he was massacring the league. The puck just didn't go in the net for him. Yeah, well, that's what it's like. He had 60 goals last year, and 51 of them came in 50 games. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because he went, he was like, because quote-unquote bad for Matthews is still pretty good. But if I remember correctly, he was doing pretty poorly, like 10 games in the last year. Yeah, First 10 games, he had like three or four goals, or three goals maybe, I want to say. And then I think his last 10 or 10 or 12, he had like seven, I want to say as well, because it was like he was he was stuck on 59, if I'm not mistaken, for a little while. Yes. Yes, Uh, he was stuck there as well, if I remember correctly. Yeah. But like, yeah, like I just, I don't know. And I'm just curious, you know, and and it's something I definitely want to watch a little more as well, but yeah, because it's like sometimes it feels like it's like, well, all his underlying numbers are still amazing this year. Like he's at 54%. The team's at 54%, uh, Corsi 4 when he's on the ice, and uh, 60 or 59% expected goals when he's on the ice. The only guy better is Mitch Marner. And, you know, maybe you used to almost be able to say, well, yeah, Mitch Marner's playing with math. Actually, Marner has a worse, just slightly worse, 56% uh, expected goals percentage. It's like, but Marner has been off of Matthew's line for about half the year now, or maybe not quite half, but enough time where it's like the two statistics are starting to become part where it's not like Marner, Matthew's bunting has been playing together a hundred percent of the time. You know, Marner's been off of Matthew's line for at least seven or eight games now. And then on with Tavares and, you know, so like Matthew's is still dominating play with, again, he's not playing with a bum or anything like that. He's got William Nylander on his wing, but like I, it just feels like one of those things where it's like the goals at five on five are going to come, and I, I feel like people are probably overreacting a little bit and trying to compensate because of it. Yeah, I think they do it every time. And like I said, the the reason why I'm so sure is of this is because it happened last year when he won the Hart Trophy and had one of the better skater seasons we've ever seen in our life. It's like, oh, it just looks off, and then when the puck's going in, be like, well, it doesn't look off anymore. I wasn't wrong. It's like yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like oh, he looks on right now. It's like well, no, like or like yes, of course he does, but he doesn't look that much different than when it was quote unquote off. Yeah, it's just a the ridiculously good wrist shot the goalie happened to get one piece of, and then completely flips how you think of his game. Exactly right. So, um, all right. The only other piece I wanted to talk about uh, before wrapping up here was uh, the Florida Panthers and the Calgary Flames. Uh, so they're playing tonight. Uh, it is in Calgary. So Matthew Kachuk is making his return. Huberto actually made his return back to Florida last week, and the Flames took a 5-4 shootout win. Um, both teams are kind of struggling this year, one more than the other, but I wanted to just kind of quickly talk about it. Um, and even the trade as a whole so far, because, you know, on one end you have Florida, they're 10-8-4, you know, they're not been horrible, and, and granted, they're, they're, they're only two points out of a playoff spot. It's not like they're they're in dire straits or anything like that, but Matthew Kuchuk has fitted perfectly with this team. Kuchuk's been like, yeah, he's almost. I think he's almost on pace to break his uh, um, point totals from last year if he would were to keep this up all season, which is kind of funny. By game score, he's first, first in the entire league. It's him and Jason Robertson at the top. I just saw it on Twitter this morning. 
Yeah. And, like and, it, and it's been like that all year. Yeah. And like, he's on a 118 point pace right now, 118.9. Now, Grant, I think he missed a game or two because of suspension. So he won't be on a full 82 game pace, but like he's on pace. Like he had set a career year last year and we weren't sure if he would match that. And he's on pace right now to beat it by 14 points, which is absolutely hilarious. And it's like, you know, it's, it's funny seeing people revisit this already because I felt like in the summer people were just, and like, again, still rightfully so. I think Hubert will turn around, but people were like loving what Bradshaw Living was doing. It's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't love this for the Panthers at all. They're kind of frauds. Like, do they have the depth and everything? It's like, well, no, they're showing you right now why they are more comfortable paying a 24-year-old the money than they were a 29-year-old who's going to be turning into his 30s next year. Yeah, you're already starting to see like, oh, is Calgary too old? Whereas nobody's wondering that about Chuck. It's funny too that we were relatively high on the Chuck side of the trade, being like, "Well, we bet you he'll regress from last year, but he'll put up ninety points." Yeah, and you know, like I and I, I'll admit, I did not see Huberdeau being a guy who was demoted to the third line, playing like crap and on pace. Like he's got uh, ten points in eighteen games. That's just not enough for Jonathan Huberdeau. Yeah, that's pretty brutal, and that's just. That's clearly unlucky from Calgary's perspective. But from the Tuchuk side, it's, it's crazy to see how well he's fit in. Yeah, absolutely. And then, so the other thing, like with Calgary, it's, well, it's not just Huberto struggling. Jacob Markstrom has been pretty bad this year as well. The team's at 990, uh, 9-9-3 record. And, you know, I'm pretty sure Markstrom is at an 889 save percentage, uh, which isn't good. And, you know, people keep saying, oh, I got faith in him that he'll rebound. And I do to a degree, but... His um, he's had a bit of a history over his career of just kind of having one pretty solid year and then a down year, and, and maybe that's a bit of a trend. But like eight eighty nine this year, nine twenty two last year, you know he was in the best of conversation. Nine oh four the year before that, uh, not very good at all. Nine eighteen the year before that, amazing. Nine twelve the year before that, nine twelve the year before that. So he's good for back to back years there. But like we have seen Markstrom, especially when he gets overtaxed the year before need some more time off and i think he'll like he's not gonna be an 889 goaltender all year but you know he's got to go on quite the run to even get back up to like 918 this year yeah and like well he's probably money in the bank to get back to like 905 or whatever but like can the can the flames actually win with that uh, yeah, I don't know. And like, I think maybe if you're a Flames fan, what you're hoping is that him getting back to a 905, 907, or whatever this year is good enough to get you in the playoffs. And then you only like you only need the 920 for three weeks. That's true. As long as the timing is perfect. Yeah, yeah. like the Flames underlying numbers are still good. They're not amazing, but I'm sure if they can get average goaltending, this year will be fine. Yeah, they're no, yeah, they're absolutely another team where it's like I don't really believe that they are that bad. Yeah, 100%. like they're they're also shooting like a really low percentage. Yeah, they're correctly. they're fourth in Corsi four so far this year, and like seventh or eighth, I want to say, in expected goals, tenth in expected goals. Like they're a top ten team in both metrics, and yeah, That's where they are in even strength shooting percentage. Uh, I just took a look; they are twenty eighth. The different sites evolving hockey as the second last. Oh, okay. I have oh, you know, I have five on five, so even strength might be maybe that'll that's probably like four and four and three and three as well. Um, but yeah, small difference, same idea, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I have second last one. I go to natural stat trick and go to even strength. Um, 
But yeah, like that's that's the thing, right? It's like, no, they're probably not this bad. They're just getting unlucky yeah. and not shooting at uh and it's not like this is you know, like when the Minnesota Wild teams have passed routinely underperform their expected goals, or like Carolina was always a classic too, right? It's like, well, yeah, they don't have any shooting talent. What do you expect? This team does have shooting talent. Yes, and passive talent. They have everything. Yeah, so um all right, I want to play. We got, you know, we're at about the 50 minute mark. I think this is a perfect. We'll, we're going to play a game. Me and you are going to work together on this one. We're going to start a new segment called Can You Name This? And this is just basically where I either I'm going to give you a thing to name or, you know, we're going to go through it together. Captains is the one we're going to go through right now. And because I don't want to sit there trying to name all 32 teams, we're going to go with just the Eastern Conference, I think. Okay. So, okay. I am pretty confident in getting most the Atlantic. I'm the not Atlantic confident in the Metro. So let's start in the Atlantic. We have Brady Kachuk, John yeah. Tavares. Yeah. Um, and I think John Tavares might even be a trickier one for some people in terms of like, if you're not Just in the market. Exactly, right? Yeah. Um, Stamkos. Stamkos. Barkov. Bergeron. Barkov. Bergeron's easiest one in the whole conference. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, so there's actually five. he was a good trick because it was Char for a while. Yeah, Buffalo. Do you know Buffalo's? Because Buffalo's it's weird. See, I was trying to think if Buffalo had one. They do, I think. I might be messing this up, but I swear to God, it's Kyle Fosmo. I th- I feel like you're right now that you say that. I think they named at the beginning of this year, right? I'm pretty sure it's him. Okay, I am going to look this up right now. Buffalo Sabres captain. Uh, it is Arcoza. So, okay, there's six. Larkin's Detroit, right? Yeah, and Suzuki's Montreal. Okay, yeah, so there's eight. We went eight for eight in the Atlantic. Let's see if we can get the Metro Division. Sidney Crosby, that's the easy one. Obi. Alex Ovechkin, there's two easy ones. God, I was about to say Giroux, but that's... No, it. he's off. Um, did the Flyers name someone this year? I don't... I don't think they did. I don't think the Ranger. Oh, no, the Rangers is Truba. The Flyers... Yeah, the Ra- Rangers is Truba. I honestly have no idea if the Flyers have one. I'm going to go no. Let's, let, let's vote them as no, if you're good okay. with that. Yeah. Let's see. Uh... Yeah, no, he is. They do not have a captain. Yeah, for New so, Jersey, it's Hishie. Yep, which that probably is a tough one for some people too. Yeah, it's still Jordan Stahl in Carolina, which is like a legacy pick there. Yeah, so there's six. Columbus is Torensky, right? No, it's Moon Jenner. I'm pretty sure. Oh yeah, no, yeah, you're definitely right. You're 100 yeah. percent right. I'll, I'll double check, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it is Moon Jenner. That's a poll, man. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, so there's seven, if I'm not mistaken. I'm going to be fully I- honest. I don't know the Islanders captain. I feel like they don't have one. I have no idea if they have one. We've had such a vendetta against the Islanders for so long. I don't like watching the way they play hockey. So I have no freaking idea who their captain was. Oh, you know, no, they definitely do have one. It's, um, uh, 
Is it one of the uh, the thirty-year-old guys? Yeah, Lee Nelson or Bailey would have been my guess. It's I'm ninety-five percent sure it's Anders Lee. Let me look. I would have thought one of those three forwards if they. Yeah, it it is Anders Lee. It is Anders Lee. Okay. Yep. Uh, all right, so you know what? Better than I thought. Um, we went through that pretty quick. Let's do the West as well. Let's do the West. Yeah, let's do the West. Um, Arizona I, doesn't have one. If we start nope. there, that's okay, the so, one team I know for sure doesn't have one. Okay, so we'll start in we'll start in the Central then. So Arizona doesn't have one. Jonathan Taze is still the Blackhawks captain. McKinnon. McKinnon. No, it is Landeskog. Oh shit! You're right. Yeah, that's a that's a Bergeron Charles one where you yep. just assume us. Um, Dallas it's Yossi. Yeah, Dallas has been Yossi's the Preds, right? Yeah, is Minnesota Spurgeon? Um, that sounds correct. The Blues is O'Reilly. Yeah, and the Jets stripped Wheeler, right? Yeah, so the Jets don't have a captain right now because they stripped Wheeler. A lot more teams without a captain than I thought there was. Yeah. So it's Minnesota. We're, do you want to go with Spurgeon? I'm pretty sure it's Spurgeon. One captain. Yeah, it is Spurgeon. Okay. So almost slipped up on the avalanche, but we're okay. All right. Golden Knights is Mark Stone. Yep. Oilers is McDavid. Yeah. The Pacific, this is getting into a East Coast yeah. here. I start to get pretty bad. I don't know the Ducks. I don't know if the Ducks have one. They haven't named Zegers captain yet, haven't they? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I don't think the Ducks have one. One of the only ones in the non-McDavid ones I know is Kopitar. Yeah, Kopitar for the Kings, that's a good one. Stone. Yeah, so Stone, Kopitar, McDavid we have. Oh, Fred's uh, Katurin, I was going to say. Yeah, okay, there's four. I don't think think the Flames have one either, do they? No. It wasn't Gaudreau either, was it? No, it was Giordano, and no one's had it since, right? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Calgary Flames, Captain. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's right. I don't think the Flames have had one in a couple of years. Yeah, I don't think it was ever Gaudreau. Um, no, there is not. So, um, okay, so we have five. I don't think the Ducks have one either, dude. That would make sense. Who would it even be? Like, I was just going to say Hampton Lindholm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure... Yeah, no, because so it, it was obviously gets lab, but then now yeah, I think they're just kind of waiting until Zegers uh, gets old enough or mature, that makes enough, sense. whatever you want to call it. So there's six. Did the Canucks name Pedersen captain? I don't think so. I see fifty percent of me completely agrees with you. The other fifty is like, no, you idiot. They definitely did. I'm like reasonably certain it's not Pedersen. I just don't know if it's like a random. Okay. I will agree with you then that they. I just. Yeah, I don't know. So do we want to go no? Or do we want to go with someone? This is this is a real bad East Coast bias show. Like, I feel like I'm yeah, going to go someone on the Canucks. Scream. Oh, dude. 
I just looked it up. It's Bo Horvat, man. That's pretty tough. We just powered through <laughs> three quarters of the league in a minute, and that just yeah. Like I've, to... I've been pretty lost. It's so Seattle's golden team. I don't think Seattle because it was Giordano, and then they traded him. Oh, they have had a captain. You're right. Yeah, but I don't think I don't think they named anyone after they traded Giordano. Yeah, it would either be Everlay, I would think, or they don't have one. But I don't think it's Everlay. Yeah, I feel like you're you're right on that. Yeah, no, they named teams they named Everly Gord, Larson, Schwartz as assistants. Like so first instinct is when remember I can't think of one is like oh they I must just not be able to think of it. But yeah, it's more likely the teams legit doesn't have one. Yeah, and like even like Ottawa didn't have one until up to last year when they named Brady. Yeah, true. Um. Wow, I can't believe I forgot about Bo Horv. I feel really bad about that. Yeah, I also screwed up Landis Gog after watching him post the cup last year, so that was, <laughs> yeah. that was tough. Although that's like a, a Matthews-level screw-up where you just assume it's, it's the best player on the team. Yeah, well, the Bergeron one was the absolute classic to get people out yeah. for the longest time. Bergeron was the worst, too, because everything about him screams lifelong captain, <laughs> and he didn't become it until, like, 36. That's the thing, too, is like, well, and even in L.A., that one was always the trickiest because you'd think Doughty and then Kopitar, yeah. but it was Dustin Brown for the longest time. Yeah, yeah, because Kopitar never was. It was Doughty when they were winning cups and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, oh, I don't know. I would say, you know what, overall, I'd say 31 for 32 is not that bad. Yeah, it's pretty um, good. It's pretty I, sad the one we messed up, to be honest. I would not have guessed that Vancouver would be the one I messed up. We messed up, but uh, I would apologies have thought, like, uh, to Bo Horvat, who is probably not going to be the captain by the end of this year because I think he's getting traded. I think he will. Like he he should be, but it's also the Vancouver Canucks, so I'm not going to put anything past them. That's fair. Yeah, so. I thought if we screwed anything up, it'd be like Adam Henrique is actually the captain of the Ducks or some shit like that. I really thought, I really want to call Andy Green the captain of the New York Islanders. I wanted to say that but too. I was like, no, it's someone who is better than that for sure. I don't even think Andy Green's on the team anymore, but it was the first name that came to my head. And that's why I was like, I don't think he's on the team. So I have no clue who the captain could be. Yeah, well, because like, I was thinking Marcel, I was like, no, it, like Lou would not name Marcel captain. No, but yeah, so I mean, yeah, that's one of the, one of the few uh, that pulled out there. Um, yeah, Andy Green's name, I think he probably retired. He must have. It was like forty. Um, I would anyways, think he's forty. Look, cut. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's a good place to wrap it up. Uh, thank you everyone so much for listening. As always, you can find all my work at lastwordonhockey.com. I'll chase it on the actionnetwork.com. Uh, again, you can go see, if you're in Seattle this week for uh, Seattle, go say hi to Chase. Um, and as always, you can find Chase's stuff on Twitter at CMHockey66, myself on Twitter at NHL Sense and stuff. Thank you everyone so much for listening and we will be back at you next week with another episode.